All right, I'm David from the Digital Dudes Podcast. I'm Reed. And I think, Reed, this may be the episode, I don't know, maybe this seems like it's the episode you've been most excited about for some reason. Well, in a little while, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've been, you there. You always get excited to do an episode, but I just mean in particular, like we got to, you're like, oh, we got to get this done. Yeah, and hopefully it doesn't come off the wrong way. I just think it's really fascinating. And of course, we want to do everything we can to, to help the industry, not just our clients. But um, we have some strong opinions about how to handle uh, the current climate right now with the coronavirus, you know, uh, pandemic. Yeah. So uh, in this episode, we start out by talking about how you might want to change your messaging and creative. Um, we talk about some options about about targeting changes on different platforms. Um, and we, for sure, towards the middle of the episode, I mean, we definitely get derailed. But uh, I think one of your favorite parts, Reed, was starting to get into the budgets. Yep. What else did we talk about that why they may want to continue past the break? No, I think, I mean, we had a, also a few predictions about who's going to win and who's going to lose within multifamily. And, you know, potentially, I guess everybody loses. But um, I think there's going to be some interesting, you know, shifts. Uh, but those are just predictions. It was more about budget, targeting, creative platforms. Yep. And we talk a little bit about the difference between multifamily, student housing, and active adult or senior living and, and the, the slight nuances you may see there. Uh, that's a little bit muddied somewhere in the first or second, third. Uh, but it's there if you... If you uh, yeah, decide to listen on. All right. See you on the other side. Okay. I'll read. Usually I'm flying by the seat of my pants. No. Yes. Usually we I mean, both are. Yeah. Yeah, but oftentimes if there is prep, I might prep more than you, but this time it seems like you really got into this topic, so I'll <laughs> let you start off, but I know, well, I'll just let you start off. Yeah, well, one section of it, but uh, it is our COVID-19 um, podcast, and we probably won't be the first, and this may not be the last, but um, yeah, so the question is, is how does it affect this industry, um, specifically our peeps, which are the marketing folks, but also the operators and how they're thinking about it. Uh, I think we're seeing, you know, some knee-jerk reactions and then some folks that are, you know, kind of thinking through things um, and looking maybe a little bit more at the long game. So figured that would be a good topic to talk through. And uh, as I see it, just kind of breaking it down, general impact that we're seeing and that we're anticipating and then talking through the budget element um, as well as targeting creative and media mix yeah i mean just so today's the wow well, friday the 13th and i know how you feel about this yeah very auspicious <laughs> day for this podcast uh but we sent out we sent out a newsletter this morning that was talking about just our quick like the meeting we had yesterday just quickly to say how should we be treating things differently um and we broke down our newsletter by platform so i don't know if we shouldn't necessarily go that much in depth, but we'll just give a few highlights here. So we're saying from the paid search perspective, some of the main things you should really care about are changing your your creative. So maybe uh, remove things about, you know, uh, schedule a tour and instead replace them with things about like uh, virtual tours or call for more information instead of visiting us. Um, you should definitely add more negative keywords. And this was a thing from Adam. I thought it was so smart, but um, thinking about your retargeting campaigns, which often go hand in hand with search, but um, you want to, you want to make sure your display creative is not showing up next to articles that are talking about COVID or the coronavirus or anything that could be done there. So you, you're going to need a, a pretty in-depth 
um, negative keyword lists that you're going to tie to your display campaigns as well as to your paid search campaigns. Um, and, and then I, for I just just adding there that a ton of of uh, impressions are served on new sites. They often generate the most traffic. Certainly, there's plenty of other you know publishers out there, but I think that is why that's such an important step to take uh i couldn't ballpark it and i know you couldn't either we'd have to do an audit to know like proportionally do 50 percent of my impressions run on new sites um well don't i mean not to be <laughs> as far as like regular display meaning like sure there's social impressions which i consider separate which isn't going to be the news item but otherwise frankly in most cases i'm going to say news right because then you'll have like espn right or sports sites which i'm going to say is news sites even though it's a sports site mm-hmm. and it's going to be talking about you know, the NBA and all of this stuff. So I feel you like it's use a, an a umbrella significant term. I just yeah. mean like there's healthcare sites like WebMD I right, mean, right. as a new site. Uh, right. So there's, but yet we'll yeah, be talking overwhelmingly. about this. Right. Right. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. That one's probably lighting up right now. Sorry to interrupt. I was just saying that. No, you're right. A significant thing. Uh, that's a big tip. So let's say that like when I go online and if it's not industry stuff, um, then I guess it is, it would be news or could be qualified as news. So that immediately may have you or customers wondering about pacing. And so far we, I know even though folks are seeing a downturn in their lead volume at properties or at least like on-site traffic, we so far in the early, early days here haven't seen pacing be impacted. And I'm curious to see how that goes, um, particularly for like search and display um, because frankly, like th- we all know that nobody has as much of a search budget as they want in this industry. So I could see maybe pacing becoming more of an issue for the ILSs um, in their search campaigns at the 150 million we talked about versus an, an individual property if they necessarily have pacing concerns. Yeah, makes sense. And my comment on that, I think yesterday, I'll say it again today, is uh, the good news, especially I'll say with the psychographic or behavioral targeting is that you know, no impression be, should be served without, you know, the proper criteria, meaning that it is being uh, served to somebody that's been reading the, that type of content, meaning related to multifamily or has been searching or has been interacting with ads, etc. So to David's point, like if the pacing's there, then you shouldn't be worried that, you know, um, A, you're, you're serving to bad people, that the quality's not going to be there. Um, I said A, but that's my only thing there. <laughs> Well, uh, I almost am going to bite on the budget conversation, but I'm going to hold on that for a second and get through at least like sure. what you should do today. Um, Can so I say one other thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the, on the, <laughs> yeah, it just took me like two minute delay, uh, on, on the traffic, what I'll be curious to see, and this is just curiosity at this point, and you know, we're going to be looking at all this, but is the quality of leads go up through coronavirus? Mm. Because for those that are still out looking at an apartment, and I don't want to assume the worst, that they're just not you know, the most intelligent human beings on the planet. Are they the ones that are most desperate? Therefore, your close ratio should go up during coronavirus, not down. As far as people walking in the door. Well, I, I could definitely see the quality of calls going up that you do have. So I think there, there you could imagine there'd be less people that are going to like call you and sort of play hard to get. We're like, Oh, do you have a one bedroom? Oh, cool. But I, I used to do this. Like, f- like not, I didn't want to show you my full interest because I didn't want you to like try sell me. Right. So I would like be like, okay, let me just see. You have a one bedroom. Okay. 1100 bucks. a month. Okay, cool. Well, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll check you out later. 
But now I could see like, okay, am I as likely to now say, I'll check you out later, meaning I'll just randomly come in, or would I instead try to grill you and say like, great, what are move-in dates? Like, let's talk about terms. So maybe it'd be a much higher quality conversation because I don't want to, you know, be bopping around town. Or they're just getting more calls because they're getting less foot traffic and therefore call quality actually goes down. So I think it'll be interesting whether it neutralizes itself or if it happens more the way you're describing where it's like, you know, you're going to see call quality improve um, because you're going to have less people. They're just kicking the tires and wasting yeah. time. But then again, people are going to have a lot of time on their hands. You know what you need so specifically for search sticking on this. Um, I don't know if you remember some of the data we dove into when the, after the Houston hurricane hit, but we saw after that hurricane wiped out a lot of the availability in that market, there were, there was a spike in calls because people were just calling anybody. Right. The problem was yeah, they weren't, quality, yeah great quality yeah so it's like sure you it well now particularly when people are even more sensitive about demographic targeting right so most folks uh have well as they should but they did not always remove demographic targeting from their search campaigns like they think about demographic targeting on social but it is is there for search so since you can't target by demographic or shouldn't be then um then you need people to pre-qualify themselves to say like apartments at 3000 bucks or whatever it is. And then I would even wonder if you start getting, if for your creative, you just start being even more standoffish or like, like no affordable offered or like no, um, no short term housing available or something like that in there. So it's like, Oh shoot, I, I shouldn't even call cause it says no short term available. Right. Yeah. In other words, this is now a time to double down on trying to get people to, you know, kind of not self-select, but, uh, be more self-qualified. Totally. I think that's interesting. Um, I'm curious uh, with, uh, gosh, dog it. I think I lost it. It had to do with phone calls. Oh, let's move on. Well, one last thing on the, at least for now, on the search creative. Um, we briefly mentioned changing your creative from a schedule a tour. Um, but what I didn't hit was like the virtual tour, or the self-guided tour. So we know that self-guided tours are more prominent these days. Um, those may see an uptick because maybe they would just want to, they still want to go tour, but they want to do it on their own. Uh, but you certainly could start having folks just scheduling, uh, I'll say remote tours, right? Where whether you do FaceTime or like a Zoom or whatever, a, a Facebook messenger video, but your leasing team starts walking people through as a, as a, guided tour but in a remote capacity Mm -hmm. so perhaps your creative should really focus around that and your scheduling link or option should be focused on that and not as if in person so your creative would definitely say like schedule a remote tour or video tour perhaps or something like that yeah i think the question is how far do you take it you know and that goes that questions for us too as an agency like um when it comes to copy and creative uh, certainly being sensitive to the topic and the issue, but, you know, will you start seeing in people's AdWords campaigns things uh, related to COVID um, and promoting, you know, you mentioned earlier, David, FaceTime or Zoom as, as opportunities for uh, at least remote staffs because we've heard some of that's happening at least up in the Northwest to still stay, you know, be able to communicate and, and try and sell, you know, um, units. So I, I'm just, we don't, I don't think we've fully made that determination, but where we're leaning and where I would recommend or expect maybe some other agencies in the industry to lean is let's not overreact. You know, we have to know where and how we would pivot or optimize, but I don't think it's, uh, 
back me up here, but in anyone's best interest to rush out and start changing all their copy to scheduling online tours. Um, you know, as we said, you know, you'll see it in the ad delivery, whether that, you know, is, is really effective or whether that's needed, I should say not effective, but then you'll see it in the data, whether it's effective or not. I think it, yeah, it definitely depends on your market, right? So we have some folks in Seattle that are saying their onsite teams don't even want to show up. Yeah. And so that's a different story, but you obviously in, well, just how big of a problem it would be if you had on-site staff that refused to go. Um, so I think it, I, I would say, I guess it depends, um, particularly as this thing evolves over the next, you know, weeks and months. Well, my last question on the call quality or the, not just call quality, but on quality is, is the customer journey going to accelerate or decelerate? And I think most operators and obviously, you know, if you look at foot traffic, that doesn't have anything to do with the customer journey. That's just strictly like how many people are coming to the door. We're seeing less. We're concerned. Maybe we should pull back on budget. What do we do versus, you know, if everybody is really as paranoid as I think we all, <laughs> I mean, clearly we are, then do I want to see eight different apartments before I make a choice or do I only want to see a couple, you know, because I don't want to spend, uh, you know, maybe the ordinary time that I would for that simple fact is I'm trying to limit my interactions mm -hmm. and I might be a little bit hastier through the process than I normally would. Mm -hmm. I mean that you'd have to see at a macro level um, or is it going to be the opposite where people are putting these things off? But the reality is, and on some level this helps protect the multifamily industry is when a lease is up, a lease is up. So yeah. depending on how owners want to handle it, I don't see them offering a ton of exemptions. They're going to want to maintain the, the tenants they have. Um, and so I don't, see unless you disagree like exceptions where it's like we'll prolong it a month so you have more time to think about it they're probably going to want to capitalize on it and yeah. say sorry and so it's going to force the tenant's hand or the resident and that will be kind of two directions they can go with it which is like i'm going to just sign for another 12 months because i'm freaked out by this or i actually need to hustle but i'm going to spend less time doing it finding my next place super interesting because uh, back to if you were your revenue management, right? So should you be raising rents even more? <laughs> right. You know, or or do you actually think the opposite will happen? Because certainly, as you said, people are still going to move, right? And if, if they do move out, then that means maybe you're offering crazy concessions to get the, their butts in the door right now. So if you try to raise rents to get keep people there, but at the same time you're offering insane concessions to get to replace the people you lost, yeah, that's really interesting for revenue management. Yeah. The COVID concession. <laughs> the COVID concession. <laughs> That's not funny. Sorry. Um, so the couple of other things, and then we'll, uh, we'll move on, but I, just as far as what you should do, there's definitely a delineation uh, between the types of asset you have, right? So I'll say like if you're student housing versus multifamily versus, you know, active adult or senior living, right? So that's where geofencing comes in. So what we, what, what we've recommended to our clients for student housing campaigns is most campuses are closed now or doing remote sessions. So switch from targeting folks that are on campus now to folks that have previously been to campus. And so most platforms when it comes to geofencing have the ability to look back 90 days, sometimes a little bit longer, but usually people clear their cookies further than 90 days. So you can look back historically over the last 90 days, who the heck has visited campus and let's hit them with ads if they're still in the area um, for our geofencing. So that I think that's uh, something to do for student, but multifamily, maybe you still focus on your comps. And then for senior living or active, active adults, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, I guess I'm not sure how, uh, what I would do differently. I guess I'd still probably remain the same and see if my impression delivery was um was still holding true uh 
I will say though, we have had clients with um, that are that are targeting empty nesters that are already seeing a big decrease in their lead volume because empty nesters that were looking to move are like, you know what, F it, let's put it on hold. Let's ride this thing out. I don't want to move from my palatial estate <laughs> and then, uh, and then go to uh, a building that has 400 people. So it's going to be a tough, tough go for them. Yep. I think, uh, on the geo fencing, the, um, Again, it's more about what to do if, if you're not seeing delivery and you're seeing engagement slip um, because you don't want to prematurely change all your, your geofencing, you know, targeting, just making the assumption that people aren't out there. I mean, we heard that internally when we talked to the team. Everybody's like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's just not going to be people out walking around anymore. It's like we're not quite, I think, to the Armageddon state, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, where this is like sci-fi or Orson Welles, as I was telling you, right. where the aliens have landed and you can't find anybody on a street. But we're not trying to understate it. I just, you know, can't emphasize that enough. Like, don't overreact or optimize. That's uh, maybe a good segue, but I don't know if you had more you wanted to get at before we talk about just, you know, budgeting. Yeah, but, a little, just to end yeah. on the optimizations yeah, 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 real yeah. quick. So don't forget about your organic social, right? You uh, you typically schedule yeah. posts 30 or 30 days in advance. And so you want to make sure there's nothing insensitive there. And I would err on the side of like pulling down posts and being more dormant as opposed to saying like, let's swap all this out for other stuff. Um, and then the other thing is SEO. So most folks probably don't believe that they, I don't think they would naturally believe they should do anything for SEO at the moment, but I actually think it's a, it's an opportunity to lean in. So we've been talking more recently internally about click through rate on SEO and how a lot of people kind of dismiss title tags and meta tags and all that stuff. Um, but those are what Google pulls as your headlines in SEO. And so think about, at least for now, updating your title tags and meta tags, even if you can't generate new content to talk about back to the, the virtual tours or, or things of that nature that may, um, that may give people the reason to click on your listing versus someone else's listing on Google. Um, and then one last thing there, if you had time and the ability to build out additional content, then again, you can lean into it by starting to up that stuff. So more recently, this is totally separate, but I was um, working with someone that had Tesla charging stations and they were able to start ranking super well in a major metro for Tesla charging stations. And that was just by adding it to the website because nobody else talks about Tesla charging stations. Well, a lot of people, when they talk about schedule a tour, um, if they have virtual tours or remote tours, it's more in, in like a, oftentimes it can be in an image and it can just say like, um, virtual tour. It doesn't have anything beyond that. So now is the opportunity for you, whether it's through a pop-up that's text and not just image, or that's on the, the homepage that says, hey, we offer remote tours that are video where we walk you through the apartment as if you were here and show you anything you want, blah, 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 something of that nature. So just, just some thoughts where SEO may apply that you may not be thinking. Yeah, great call out. Um, and again, how far do and it's too early, I think, to, you're, you're talking about leaning in, in a, I think, a healthy way, but, you know, are we going to start seeing um, properties, websites with pop-ups that are, you know, overtly, I guess, hitting the COVID, or do you just make it more subtle the way you're describing, where it's like, let's just make sure it's clear that we offer remote tours or that we can do, mm-hmm. you know, FaceTime, Zoom, things like that, which I think is the right way to start. Um, if it gets extreme enough, maybe some people will consider an even stronger stance where they are very deliberately, you know, using uh, the coronavirus in their copy on their website or, or through pop-ups. 
Um, what I wanted to, uh, God, it wasn't on the uh, SEO. It was on, what did you do before the SEO? Organic social. Organic social. Thank you. Um, must be the tacos. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's raining tacos. This song just popped in. My, my <laughs> girls listen to every time I uh, make them tacos. They play the most ridiculous song. I wish we could do a drop or something uh, for raining tacos. Um, we'll so, get there. Yeah, someday. Um, but back to organic social. Um, I think this is an interesting opportunity, perhaps, and it's not at all about exploiting. It's truly, as I know how passionate our marketers are, like our, our clients and the whole industry seems to be about customer experience, like how important it is that residents feel, you know, engaged and connected within the community. And they hit that all the time with us. It's like, it's not a property manager. It's a community manager. It's community, community, community. Well, if that's the case, then, you know, you don't want to go dark on your organic social. Mm. Um, it's a different challenge for being open an agency that's mm -hmm. supporting that because of the scalability um, or lack thereof, where you would want on your page, hyper local uh, content related to what's going on with the virus. Um, because if I'm a, if I'm a resident, I would al almost expect that where it's like, how is it that we say we're a community and my, my property is not even mentioning this. I want some tips. I want to know what's happening with restaurants around me. I want to know what's happening with schools. And they have obviously the same access we all do to all these, you know, huge publishers and sites. And they surely have some local news sites that they follow. But this is an opportunity to not be a hero per se, but really lean in, as you were saying, and connect with your residents. Mm -hmm. It just puts a whole other level of, of stress and maybe just unrealistic, um, you know, as far as what we can support as an agency in doing that. So I don't know if you have anything to add that because that was definitely a, a point of discussion yesterday as we were thinking about our own stance and what we can deliver to clients. Yeah, I think it's healthy. Like we used to talk about uh, internally when clients, we do do Twitter posts for, for, for certain clients if they want it, but oftentimes we'll encourage that Twitter becomes like their public messaging or awareness system and less about content for us to to generate for folks so at this point with how this is taking over you know the uh, the cycle at the moment i would say that you should treat every one of your channels as if it's your twitter public announcement um side of things so um what i'm saying by that is that would include things like oh okay what are we doing so you probably pushed out emails that are they're saying, hey, here's how the building's taking it seriously, your management team, right? Then I would say even on the social channels, like because if I lived in an apartment right now, I wouldn't be using my primary email address. I'd probably use, be using a junk email just to be <laughs> more open. I don't want, well, that's just how I work. So I'm just saying you should get it out there in every every facet. Like here's the steps we're taking internally, you know, yada, yada, yada. I would even go so far as to say um, if there are tips that you can give them as far as like what to do, like when accessing their mailbox or their packages, like things like that. And then as you were saying yesterday in our brainstorming meeting, you would want the onsite team to be saying like, Hey, there's nothing available at whatever grocery store, but if you're looking for it, we have a hot tip that's over here. Definitely. I think that this is a, uh for those that do a blend and many of our clients, that's because the setup they're in right now is a hybrid where they have 
some properties that are managing uh, the content and others that are with an agency or they actually have both going at the same time where the, an agency is just supplementing the content they put out. But I'm saying this because as we go to market, David, we often, we, we always say, hey, we're an extension of your team. So no better time, in my opinion, for us or anyone else that's trying to support or is involved with the content of a property's website or social channels to, to have an open discussion with them right now about what the, what the position is, where they begin and end, how can we support you? Um, because if you think about it, no, I, I mean, we haven't talked about it yet, but what, what about the potential backlash, right? That a lot of properties could face on this whole issue where it's like, cause I've been seeing that all over the news where it's like, you didn't protect us well enough. What are you doing to dis? you know, there's no disinfectant, whatever, blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. Mm -hmm. So there's the potential for a lot of criticism and you have to arm your, your teams to be prepared for that. And that's yeah. where it could make sense to say, Hey, we need to get on the phone with our agency because, uh, and it's not about us. I'm just saying everyone involved needs to think through all the different possibilities. And that's what we were just getting started with yesterday. The last note I'll say, or last kind of comment on this is that there is still time, you know, and can't stress that enough. Uh, I don't want to sit here and predict like the worst, but nobody's predicting that this is going to stop next week. That's what's scaring people. And so take advantage of that. Don't wait another month to have that planning session and figure out those different tracks because it's most likely that that's exactly what's going to happen. It's going to unfold that way. So take advantage of, of it, of the time you have now to, to prepare yourself. All right. So um, we moved through most of the tips as far as what you should do with your campaigns right now. And we briefly hit on pacing. And that's when I said I'm not going to quite go down the budgeting conversation. But now I think it's a good time to switch to the budgeting conversation. Um, so I know this is where you said you did the most <laughs> prep. Well, it's not so much prep as it was just, you know, I guess thinking through it in the most realistic way that I could as far as what I'm expecting to happen between operators and marketers. So before I, uh, since even though I'm more prepared, I'm still going to, uh, have some fun with you, I guess. And, oh, man. and say, talk to me, uh, about your thoughts around budgeting, um, you know, what, what should you do in this case? And, and, and maybe the easiest way to step into this or lead into it is the most basic question. Do I turn off my marketing? Do I pause my marketing? Do I dial back my marketing? What's your thoughts there? Well, at the moment I say no. Um, I think, um, uh, my reasoning for that is we, if you remove like special events from here, hurricanes or COVID or whatever, um, folks get into this situation when they start to get stabilized anyways, right? And so let's say you hit 96%. And so they turn off marketing. And then all of a sudden, like three months later, they're, they're like 89% and they're trending worse. And it's like, because they just shut things off and it's so hard to get started back again and regain, regain your ground. So at the moment, I, I don't believe you should be turning off, uh, turning off anything. I think you need to keep, keep yourself out there, but you just need to know it's going to be, it's been 10 years of, of really good time for apartments right now. Right. And so this is the first little like bump in the road for apartments that's nationwide. It's probably just going to mean harder to get those leads. And, um, I think also this is a slight aside. I think, um, it, the more, uh, humanity you can show during this process, the better. Cause I, I feel many times when we work with clients and we work with their onsite teams and we listen to calls and audit how things have gone, there's not a lot of humanity. It, there's a lot of like order taking that happens. Like, no, we don't have a one bedroom available. Oh, we do. It's whatever. 
see you later. There's not like, there's not, there's, they just don't, yeah, there's just not a lot of effort because it's just kind of happened for them. So we've had 10 years for that to fall out of the culture of the on-site teams. So I'm saying humanity, think about it, try to instill that with your teams. Uh, Back to uh, scaling. I think right now folks should probably keep their budgets about the same because you don't know what's going to happen. So I think back to the 2008 uh, recession. And when that happened, uh, there's there's dozens of examples from startups and even large companies. So there were large companies that pulled back and tried to get defensive. And then there were companies that leaned into it. And the ones that leaned into it were the ones that came out on the other side ahead of things. Um, there was a MailChimp is actually one really good example of that. There are competitors, camp, Campaign Monitor and a few others. And what was the... Um, what was the really big constant contact constant contact had pulled back on a lot of things during 2008. Um, just saying like, Hey, let's, let's weather the storm. And, um, MailChimp's never been one to push a lot of marketing, but they just like continued, continued the fight. Uh, and then they came out on the other side and, uh, they had way more momentum than Constant Contact, who's now been on their heels for a while. And there's dozens more examples like that where folks lean into it. Um, I mean, you see that during the 2001 bubble with uh, with companies. So Amazon took out a big chunk of cash right before the crash happened. Crash happens. They did change strategy a little bit, but they really leaned into expanding and covering these other markets. And then what do you know? Amazon gets the momentum that Amazon has and all the other ones flamed out. So it's not a lot of people in the boom times. They That's when they're aggressive as opposed to when things are on the downside and Heck, you've been reading good to great, so I don't know if there's an example in there <laughs> about about uh, this kind of thing, but I wouldn't doubt it if there was. I I, I haven't come across that yet. Um, it's definitely about though, kind of big macro events um, and how companies respond to them, and and certainly the difference you just described as far as those that move to to great uh, during those stretches, those that stay where they're at, and those um, obviously that end up in a worse position than they were before. So I, you somewhat stole some of my thunder, but I expected you to, um, you know, as far as your position or your thinking about how to handle this right now, I'm going to, and I don't think that this is any kind of radical question, but we did touch on this just briefly before the podcast, but what's your thoughts on increasing your budget? And you kind of were, you know, almost providing a segue into that, but as you say, some actually leaned into it. Um, you know, if, if it was your money, right now and you were up in Seattle since that seems to be the most extreme case. So I'm going to try and give you like as real world as possible. You own one of those buildings. You're seeing that tours are way down. Lead volume is down. What's your strategy from a budgeting perspective? This is going to be the first commercial break we take. Ah. So hang on a second. I'm going to pause, but I'm going to remember Seattle. Uh, would I increase budget? And I'm going to, co- we're going to come right back and, Hit that. So hang on a second. Two and two. (laughs) All right, Reed. We're back from our commercial break. I hope we earned tons of money on that uh, sponsorship. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. So you were saying Seattle um, and would I raise my budget. But what was your Seattle connection to raising budget because it's so impacted by the... I just said that's who we've heard... Uh, from as as most impacted and so if your tours are down your lead volumes down restaurants are closing around you all the employers are working remotely basically the sky is falling yeah what's your move from a marketing standpoint and, and 
specifically? What are you doing with your budgets? Well, it comes back to NRI to me and NOI, right? So uh, how much, what's my opportunity cost, right? So a lot of folks want to lease apartments somewhere between $200 and $600 for their, their cost to lease it. But during this period of time, if you think that this is going to go on, let's say for 60 days, 90 days, um, what's the opportunity cost of losing a couple grand a month, right? So $6,000. So I believe I would probably, depending on the market I was in, I would probably end up, I would be willing to throw my CPL KPIs out the door and my like lease um, target numbers out the door from a meeting budget, like how much I'm willing to spend. I, we've constantly talked about this, how much should be concessions and how much should be marketing, like how much budget, because I've always, or and we have often said, perhaps there should be less spent on concessions, right? If you give two months free for concessions, and let's say your rent is 2000 bucks, you just gave 4000 bucks away. Imagine if you took half of that instead and put it in marketing, would you need to give any concession away? So I don't know how much concessions would impact a scenario like this versus marketing, but I believe I would feel like, let me not go out the door with concessions right now. I, cause I don't think people in this environment are going to be price sensitive or I don't think they're going to be looking for the best deal. I think there's going to be other factors that come top of mind for consumers as they're searching. So to your point, like, there, you may get fewer leads, but the leads you get may be more interested, in, um, so higher quality. And thus, like, why focus on trying to stand out against six people like you used to have to? Now you're standing out against two or three. Thus, uh, we don't need to throw concessions at it. We can just throw, uh, move the concession money into marketing dollars and be willing to spend not $400 for our lease on marketing, but perhaps $800, $1,200. Heck, should you even be willing to spend the full month's rent on marketing per uh, per because of that whole 60 day, 90 day, or however long this thing's going to last. Yeah. Well, what do you think the impact would be for those that take the opposite approach and say, we're going to, we're going to just stop cold. We need to see how things are going to play out here. There's a lot of panic, you know, clearly. Um, but it seems to me, and we're not naming names and it's not, it's not just with our clients, but that on the operating side, you know, it's, it's a pretty natural reaction, right? And that's how these uh, recessions and, and other financial crises uh, come about is folks with the purse strings say, I'm, I'm not comfortable. Um, you mean spending just, more like they want to like almost hunker they down? Sh- they want to shut it down. Yeah. And Do you so, want to talk about your hedgehog versus fox? <laughs> <laughs> I could probably uh, squeeze it, squeeze that in here. But um, I, I just, when you really ask yourself that, because in most cases, isn't marketing less than 1%, you know, of, of, of the total budget. Like when you look at these properties, what they spend right. and what their OPEX is, it's like less than 1%. So you hit it well, like as far as the opportunity costs, but am I really coming out on top by saving, let's just use our average budgets, like five grand. I'm including everything, ILS, all that stuff. Right. Even for three months, I just saved $15,000, I guess, but what did I compromise? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd be, ten, I, I would be inclined and I don't know that you were specifically saying this. That's why I was uh, curious. Would you be spending more money or would you be spending the same amount of money or would you stop spending money if you were in Seattle right now? Yeah, I, this is not in any way, hopefully folks that listen, like we're not, 
we're not self-serving. We believe in like what's best. I believe that you should spend the same for now and see how it goes. And if you're to your point earlier on, on pacing, um, don't worry about the pacing because if it's intent based marketing that you're doing, then they're only the qualified people that are, have intent are going to be spending your budget. And so then if your budget is not, if you have too much budget, it, your vendor is going to roll that over into the next month. You can settle up afterwards. Don't, I wouldn't worry about it. So then, um, as you said, all in marketing budget. Well, a lot of properties are throwing monthly events and that comes out of the marketing budget too. At this point in time, are you going to have Taco Tuesday? Have some finger food slinging around? <laughs> Probably not, right? So why don't you just roll your... If you're going to cut back at all, cut back on the events. Great, I saved twelve hundred dollars on my event. Otherwise, roll your twelve hundred bucks into your into your marketing budget. And that doesn't mean it has to be digital, right? You could you could consider other things. Um, I don't think drive by traffic. I mean, to your point, you're not going to have people that aren't. It's not like the, the streets are going to be like The Walking Dead where no one's out, right? <laughs> you're you're so. But you probably aren't going to have as many people just cruising around town, like looking for an apartment, which is going to help with your like A-frame signage or whatever, right? So then you're still doing more awareness or outbound marketing. And that could be flyers that could be, you know, well, let's just say um, direct mail, something of that nature, which is normally too expensive for someone to work into their budget. So maybe it's an opportunity to test something there if you've wanted to. Uh, but the lead time on those is long, right? And now with how things are changing, you can't be as nimble with something like a like a flyer or a direct mail piece as you can with your digital advertising. Therefore, like let's say you plan the direct mail to go out and then something happens that would make this seem crazy and sensitive, your messaging or whatever. Well, now you can't pull back on it. Like that's a problem. So I guess now I'm talking myself into you're probably going to be more in your digital channels and then uh, your digital channels not going to be ILS, right? Because you're not nimble there. So you need to focus on the areas where you can like flex up, flex down, change messaging on on a dime. Uh, so I would say at least the same, if not possibly increase. And all of this depends on your rent roll too, right? If your rent roll, if you're like, if you were a lease up that that uh, basically just got destabilized and you're not going to really be taking units or like churning units for the next three months or maybe, let's say six months, maybe then like you could pull back on your branding stuff, but leave your leave, leave the intense stuff for any capacity you have. But otherwise, I think you want to, as you were saying, like your 15 grand, like when it comes to one single lease, like you'll lose that like over the year if you were to pause on things. Well, I think that's some really good advice. Uh, so it sounded like you would land today on keep budgets as they are, but try to move as much as I can to a more versatile mix um, or platforms. Right. Um, and makes total sense. I would be a little more aggressive, um, and and I'm also not saying this is self-serving, but I would, I would ratchet up my budgets if I'm in Seattle. I'm not saying that I do that across the board, but based on what I heard, I say this uh, making comparisons and – you know, there's too many to, to list, but to what we've seen in other big industries uh, when crises have happened, so or crises, uh, you think about, you know, the airline industry 10, 15 years ago, um, after 9-11, um, they advertised more than they've ever advertised. And it was a matter of survival. They could not just sit idle and, and, and watch it all kind of go up in flames. And some airlines did. Um, you think about other, you know, more, I guess, single one-off catastrophes, but like with Exxon, Mobile, Valdez, you know, like mm -hmm. the oil spill, they didn't stay quiet for the next three years. They put a huge amount of money. In this case, it was more in PR, so I understand that. But then when you see things like with Ford and Toyota, I remember when I was at the Statesman um, in Austin, and uh, they had all the recalls on the Priuses. 
that was the most money that, um, and this was even, uh, I'm probably sharing too much, but uh, there were, for different reasons, uh, Toyota was not wanting to spend with, with the newspaper at that time based on some bad press they had gotten. This was predated the recalls. When the recalls hit, after a very um, long break uh, with the, the newspaper, they spent more money that year than they had spent in the last five years. And it was in response, again, to crises. And so um, you can keep going again, whether it's Carnival Cruise, you know, with like outbreak of food poisoning. But um, some of this is more PR granted. So, uh, but I think that it still holds true. You cannot sit idle in these scenarios, um, especially if you're already seeing the signals, which Seattle is, is that their tours are down, their leads are down, and panic has started to, to set in. And then you can start quantifying it the way we just did. It's like, you know, the damage that's being done right now far exceeds $15,000, like for 90 days. And nobody knows. That's the other thing, right? What's going to be the timeline um, before this changes? And so for that reason, again, I think that you spend equal, if not more, um, and stay in more of an aggressive stance. The other thing I think you have to uh, pay attention to very closely that we've already pointed to, but you really should be looking closely and saying, okay, is our lead quality going up or down? You know, because you may be spending more money, like you said, David, where it's like, well, I'm used to 400, now I'm at 800, now I'm at 1200. But that'll be really fascinating. Um, and I don't mean that in some weird, you know, like fun observ uh, observatory like kind of uh, comment. But whether the people that are coming in the door are closing, um, and if they're closing more, because there's less of them out there, then why not put more in money into it, right? I mean, we've talked about this, and I give Melissa Robbins a lot of credit um, sitting in uh, on a marketing roundtable here in Denver with her, and she was just talking about uh, the future and what her predictions were is that there would be a point where instead of multifamily marketers, you know, let's just say for a 200-unit asset, talking about getting two, 300, 400 leads a month, that they'd be talking about getting 25 or 30, and the point was clear. She was like, it should get to a point where there is so much self-qualifying technology has evolved so much that we would be laughing at ourselves talking about needing two, three, 400 leads in order to get something leased up. And so I think it's interesting, at least in concept to think that the coronavirus could, you know, give some glimpse of that where it, uh, by default, it's like, because of what's happening, you're going to get extremely high quality. I don't know that to be true, but I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, that. well, also, let's go back to a second, like, what happened in, in the previous, like, recessions and downturns. Like, if other, if your competitors are all pulling back, that's usually when you should search forward, sure. right? Uh, because it becomes less competitive, so advertising gets less expensive. The question is, will the ILSs maintain their same kind of advertising push, right? Because if they continue with increasing $100 million in spend, they're already driving up cost per click we've seen around the nation. And if they continue to do that when there's, let's say, less appetite for these types of searches, then they're going to drive it up even more. However, if they start to pull back and all of your competitors start to pull back, that gives you a place uh, a place to move um, like take uh, like because the noise has died down for you to excel. It's interesting because I, I had to pull the Amazon numbers and um, – this Forbes article said that I was referencing Amazon during the 2001 bubble, but they reference Amazon during the Great Recession. So they were saying that sales or whatever spending in America dropped by 22% during 2008, but yet Amazon sales grew by 28% in 2009 during the same recession category. They give other examples too, like... Um, 
post uh, the brand for cereal, stopped advertising during the Great Depression in the 1920s, but then Kellogg doubled its advertising spend, and that's how they took over with Rice Krispie Treats and Snacks. Uh, Snap, crackle, pop. And it talks about another example with automotive. So um, Volkswagen was doing really well in the 70s. Uh, then the recession hit and the energy crisis hit. Uh, Volkswagen remained the same, but Toyota leaned into it. And then their Corolla ended up surpassing Volkswagen as the number one imported car in 1976. So there's plenty of examples here about uh, about uh, you being the one to move forward versus the one that, that leans back. Yeah, those are terrific. So we also touched on this, but what's your, um, well, I don't know if it's assumptions, but we we both were saying people are still going to be buying apartments or renting apartments, I should say. And people, of course, back in the 20s are going to still eat cereal. So, you know, it wasn't as if, you know, suddenly that, that category just evaporates. Um, and certainly that's not going to happen here, but What's your sense as far as um, how much this will affect, um, yeah, the multifamily industry, I guess, at large? But do you think that people are going to be um, less inclined to be renting right now? Do you think they're going to? There's going to be more. There's actually going to be an accelerate. Uh, you know, the trend's actually going to accelerate. Do you think it's going to stay flat? And why? <laughs> Our friends at Vigos, when I was in Minneapolis this week, told me that they listened to the uh, 2020 Predictions podcast. I was like, oh, cool. And they're like, you said there'd be no major acquisitions this year. I was like, did I? <laughs> <laughs> right. Maybe I shouldn't set, us up, set ourselves up. I, yeah. think I, I think I agreed with you, too. Yeah. But so I said maybe apartment list. Uh, I don't know. I think you did. I yeah. think you may have been on one of the smaller I players. I was wrong. Yeah, I was way <laughs> wrong. And of course, uh, they told me, they're like, we saw this coming. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, the way our reps were acting, whatever, whatever, whatever. I was like, okay, 2020. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like um, in, in many cases, I think it will, at least for the time being, people aren't going to want to make major changes in their lives. I mean, I could certainly see like if your apartment, like where, where I live in Bailey, right, at 9,000 feet with mountain lions, we have like like an eightplex there. Yeah, if that thing was empty, it is getting leased the hell out because people are going to want to leave Denver, right? Like if it was anything that like played towards the prepper <laughs> mentality or something about getting away from major populations, I think you would probably see an uptick. Uh, but as far as like, you know, what most people are dealing with with major urban areas and things, I think you're probably going to see less less of it. I think what uh, could end up happening, though, is like student housing could be se severely impacted, right? So I wonder if folks are going to play chicken with it, where it's like, well, I'm not going to sign for that fall lease right now. I'm going to wait to see what happens. But um, but then, well, then I wonder what the, what the legality would be in the fall about um, not running concessions, right? Because a lot of student housing runs concessions now, uh, to, to make sure that they hit their fall numbers. But if you are willing to play chicken with it, meaning the, the ownership group, and wait until fall when everyone's like, like oh, crap, I didn't get a place. And now it's like, who needs to offer a concession? So I almost feel like maybe student housing is one that you could um, wait on. Uh, but for multifamily, I think I think at least for the next like, 30, 60 days, I, I definitely think less people are going to want to make major changes unless they're forced out of their apartments. So back to the empty nesters. So you need people that are... Although, uh, now that we're talking through this, there are people leaving college right now. So if they're exiting college, if they happen to be getting a job and they're not one of those industries that are impacted, they're going to have to find a place to live. So through the summertime, they're going to have to find something. You just wouldn't have those 
people downgrading from their homes. I don't know. Say it cancels itself out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you just, yeah, I, I won't make you uh, ask me. I'm just going to tell you what I think on this. I do think that on some level it's going to cancel itself out there. Certainly. um, I mean, maybe not perfectly evenly, but where I'm going with this is I see C assets potentially having a boom um, and maybe B. So what I'm expecting is, is that A assets are going to be fighting for their lives because people aren't going to want to splurge and spend more money to move into a, a you know, big time luxury. And then the people that are spending money. Um, but why, very, why that part? What do you mean why that part? Why, why wouldn't someone want to spend money on luxury? I'm saying that when you have a financial or economic global crisis, you're mm-hmm. going to have less people saying, hey, let's spend an extra $2,000 a month, honey. If they worry their job's at risk or something. Right. And just okay. seeing what's around them. Very, this is, to me, this is normal. Anytime, I mean, like, there is a lot less discretional spending when there's a, a financial crisis. I wonder if, though, to make your devil's art argument, I do want to hear the rest of it, but with the luxury assets, I wonder if people feel more secure or safe about it. You know what I mean? Like if I'm going into a place that's brand new, it's not like I have to, like if you were moving into a place and you're like, shoot, this building's been around 25 years. Did they switch out that carpet when the last people left? You know what I mean? And instead, like in that luxury place, it's like I'm the first one living here. I think they'll put their pocketbooks first. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, there might be a few that uh, make a decision um, based on, you know, what they see as the stability of the property or the grade of the property. But I think way more often it's going to be driven by their pocketbooks and they're going to say, I'm not about, even though I was yesterday or last month before this thing just totally took off, I was thinking about going up another 500,000 bucks a month in my rent so I could get that dope place downtown. I don't think they're going to be thinking that way over the next few months. And I do think that there's plenty that are stuck in those uh, high rises or luxury apartments that are saying, I cannot keep up with this rent or I'm afraid to keep up this commitment to this rent because mm-hmm. I don't know if my job's at risk. I am seeing what's happening around me. I'm panicking. I have got to, I've got to downsize or find a more affordable apartment. Guess what? Then the C and the B assets like, come on over. Yeah, the water's mm-hmm. fine. And then guess who gets to raise rent now? It's the C and the B assets mm. that actually haven't replaced their carpet in 25 years because <laughs> they're like, now you have to like prioritize your pocketbook. Mm. I'm here waiting for you. So I think that that's a trend that's going to happen. Affordable housing may also pick up. So I see the bottom, you know, tiers uh, really benefiting from a coronavirus, and I see the ones up top really suffering. You know, what's super interesting about what the picture you painted is I could then imagine typically properties that are away from the urban center struggle to get leased up because you have to get people off the beaten path. But what if those folks were the ones to ramp up their advertising and try to, uh, because maybe people don't want to be in as much of the urban center of things and they'd rather be on the garden style outside of town or on the outskirts and they'll take the commute now because they don't want to be rubbing shoulders with people in the subway. Totally. Totally. Uh, we should, uh, and I don't want to say should have done more homework on this, but you know, it is going to be a very active topic with us, but I am curious to see like 2008 and you could probably search this while I'm talking, David, but how multifamily was impacted because you mentioned, Hey, maybe, you know, things just kind of cancel themselves out. Uh, and that's what I'm most curious about is if let's just say this is correct as far as the forecast or the assumptions is that, you know, those, uh, lower tier, um, or grade of assets really, um, see a boom and up top really suffers. Is it kind of neutral though, net neutral as far as renters? 
Don't you think, though, when you have a financial crisis that you also have a lot of single-family home uh, homeowners saying, we are going to have to, we're going to have to find an apartment. We're going to have to rent. Because you have, as you mentioned, Trump pouring in $7 billion in the SBA to try and solve or, you know, help uh, rescue, frankly, a, a bunch of small business owners. Those people are homeowners. I'm not saying in totality, but a lot of them are, right? And if we lost our business, I mean, I will speak completely vulnerably here and open, you know, what am I going to do? You know, I, I have to find a solution that offers me some flexibility and can get me through this stage if I can't make my mortgage. You mm-hmm. know? And so it seems to me that not only will you see that shift I was talking about from a class standpoint on who wins and who loses, but you will see multifamily at large actually have an uptick as a result of a recession because it's harder to hold on to a home, you know, when you don't have money than making, uh, making rent on a, you know, one or two bedroom apartment. Well, it's interesting. There's a great, um, I guess like data article from CBRE on the subject. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't sure either. And it, and I see what you're saying, meaning like long term. Um, but what this is saying is that, okay, as far as like, the real estate market multifamily is the most resilient. So after um, the 2001 recession, multifamily rents declined 6.7% versus that of office declined 17.7%, which by the way, we have already signed on our new office and are slated to move in Tuesday. <laughs> I wish we, we had this time to negotiate yeah. if our rent could drop 17%. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay. But if you get to the, um, Let's go to 2001. So the 2001 reception, this, this CBRE says, okay, it went from um, the end of 2001 to the beginning of 2004 before rent growth returned to the prior. So it looks like it was like nine quarters. In the 2008, it only lasted for maybe five quarters. So it really started after Q1 of 2009. And then by, oh, not even five quarters. Before 2010, it was back up to normal. Um, and then, you know, by 2011, they were on the growth growth side of things. So I don't know how, okay, going, this is on rent growth. So typically when it looks at rent growth, a lot of times you're then factoring also for the, for the concessions. So back to it, like in a recession, if you start offering a bunch of concessions, that hurts your rent growth, your effective rent growth. So if there, if folks then were leaning too much into giving away concessions and they didn't need to, to your point, um, but it doesn't. This doesn't speak specifically to occupancy. So I wonder if the overall properties weren't as impacted, uh, because maybe occupancy rates increased, even though you were giving up more on, on rent. Yeah. Well, good question. I think the other huge variable here, right, is this is a virus. Um, this isn't, uh, you know, the stock market. Although it is crashing, um, the driver behind this is something that is believed to be temporary, meaning. You know, a lot of folks are speculating, oh, by the summer, it, you know, it's going to be better and, you know, we're, it'll all be behind us. And I'm exaggerating the fact, but I just, as you think about the drivers behind economic crisis, that has to be a factor as well for multifamily um, and all industry, but how they react to that. Because if it is kind of more of a temporary or short term thing, then that may not be enough to motivate, you know, single family uh you know, to make changes for people, you know, that would be holding off on that more luxury. Like, so this is still playing out is all I'm saying. And I don't think we have a whole lot of examples of this. I mean, so many people are saying this is, you know, 
everybody feels weird and nobody knows what to do. Like America just hasn't faced this before. Um, so yeah, uh, a lot of TBD, I guess. Yeah. Um, one other thing I was going to bring up, um, just as far as reasons not to, you know, I guess collapse or pause, uh, your marketing budgets is also just campaign equity. And this is all getting into the opportunity costs that you pointed to. And we're both well aware, but you know, Google, dictates like your your position based on relevance i mean that's what they keep saying over and over it's all about relevance you don't want to compromise your own relevance by saying i'm going to pause for the next 90 days and give up all the equity that i just built with my search campaign with social so you know you're you're getting engagement metrics you're getting shares you're getting comments you're active you know google's saying hey there's a lot of signals over here this property is you know must be relevant and then boom you just disappear off of online for 90 days maybe longer i think big mistake i think the consequences of that um from a digital marketing specifically uh are significant yeah well the forbes article uh that i was reading off those stats from was um it was saying that that's what they believe the psychology was of consumers was that if you keep advertising that consumers will believe that your brand is more stable than those brands that just disappear. Um, so yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? We've, we've had, we've all had that impact from one thing or another. It's like, I, w- I was seeing this every day and now I don't see it anymore. What happened? Right. Is there a problem? Totally. You increase trust. It's so true. I do think though, back to content changes. One thing, if you think about like, Okay, so what are people, I feel like we should do a whole nother episode on rep management during this time, but uh, a lot of people love to read the reviews. I feel I could see how someone would be more intense at reading reviews these days, particularly when it comes, we, we look at, um, we use different technology to look at the review sentiment. So some of the review sentiment that we track is cleanliness of a building, and I could see how someone, if they saw reviews talking about how unclean a building was, they're like, okay, I'm out of here versus how clean the building was. So good example here is local to Denver is Red Peak. Red Peak, um, we've talked to multiple renters that are impressed by Red Peak. And specifically, some of the quotes I had was, when I moved in, they had uh, two bottles of cleaner on my countertop to say, hey, use this cleaner when you're ha- when you're cleaning your kitchen countertop so that it stays nice and fresh or whatever. And that anytime the cleaner runs out, they provide another set of the cleaner. So they cared that much to not just say, go buy your own crap at, at the store, use this special stuff. And they made it a part of the thing. So to me, if I'm, if I'm a consumer and I have red peak, I'm thinking even more about it now. Like, Oh great. They're it's clean. Right. Things are safe. Um, so back to reputation, something to think about. But, uh, the reason I said that is because a lot of times people will see your property and then they'll Google your name to find, to check your reputation. And so your Google reviews are important. So what should you, like, okay, well, what if you can't change your Google reviews because you have a reputation that's not so hot? Hey, how about the Google post, right? So have a Google post and just every week because it expires, why don't you have something there that can speak to that to try to jump in front of in front of it if you're concerned about your reputation, about how, I don't know, whatever, property ABC, we're now mm-hmm. doing uh, full, like, nightly cleanings of xyz or something but use it almost like a twitter feed type of thing for your google post regarding how you're responding to this so that people are can get um you can jump in front of them reading the reviews about the lack of cleanliness also you may think about um adding your own faqs to your google my business i was about to ask you about that (laughs) yeah so what what would you add an faq and what would it be about I would. I think maybe some general things around cleanliness. Um, 
I, I'm still not there yet as far as, hey, let's rush out um, and, and do a FAQ just around the coronavirus. But if if things get worse, I don't I wouldn't be shy. Uh, I think that could be really smart just as far as, you know, we talked about being tone deaf yesterday quite a bit. And we didn't, certainly don't want to be categorized as that um, as an agency in the way that we're working with our clients are handling it. But I would think that as community managers, the last thing you want is to appear t- tone deaf. And what I mean by that, if it's not clear already, is that you're just ignoring it or that mm-hmm. you're not talking about it. Cause that can come off really poorly where it's yeah. like, is anyone here at the freaking property going to acknowledge the fact, you know, that it is apocalyptic out there. Um, or if I'm a prospect and I'm searching your property, it's like, there's nothing on your site about coronavirus. There's nothing about you're using general term of cleanliness, but you know, I, I'm looking for that right now. I am in a state of anxiety and panic, and you don't seem to be even aware that that's going on. Not yeah. a good look. Cool. Well, um, I know we have a we don't want to take a third commercial br- or what second commercial break because we have another thing coming up here in a second. So, what else you have on your list that you want to uh, get everybody clued into before we head out? No, no. I think, like I said, a lot is unfolding and what you can count on from us and, you know, it won't be tomorrow, but we will, uh, I think, have kind of call it periodic update updates. It's not that we're trying to be news anchors here or anything like that, um, but there's a lot that is, you know, going to, I guess, bear itself or play itself out um, through data. And that's one thing that you and I have already um, kind of geeked out about. And, and again, not in some kind of sick way, but we're just super interested for our clients on what the data is telling us and how and when, you know, we might need to make some changes. So we will definitely bring back, I think, some, don't you agree, some pretty interesting kind of case studies and learnings over the next couple of months. Totally. And I think uh, back to your point, like every, everyone's been concerned that at some point the market is going to turn for apartments. Um, nobody thought it was going to happen yet. All indications were that it was going to continue. But I think this is a really interesting micro test um, that we can learn a lot from that we can then share with everybody as far as how to react in situations like this when the market's not as bubbly. <laughs> right. Um, so that could that could seed really well for the next two to three years um, if if everyone sets the stage right. So make sure that you have your goals set up so that you can start tracking, like look back historically of before versus after during situation, which can help inform your strategy if when the actual, uh, if an actual downturn happens in, in the next couple of years. So back to your point, yes, we will update and again, more just because uh, a lot of folks tend to look at, at us for word tracking because they get blown up by the different ownership groups and they want to have something that sounds like they've, they've been smart. So we'll share our learnings along the way. Yep. If it wasn't clear from both David and I, do not, and again, not, (laughs) this isn't on our behalf, uh, do not kill your budgets. Um, This is all about being smarter and strategic in how you market through this climate. Um, I think the last thing you want to do is is play chicken with your marketing dollars. So that's my my last note. Yeah. All right. C, that's C, A, B, and now C. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Glad you kept up with that. Thank you. I don't remember what I said for B. Yeah. (laughs) Nobody does. Yeah. All right, we're out of here. See ya. All right. Yeah. 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 Yeah.